Well, good morning, family. Wow, it is good to be together. Uh, those of you here in the building and and actually most of our congregation still, wow. Uh, well, those of you online, I hope that uh, everything is coming through clearly. Uh, what a blessing technology has been. At the same time, it drives most of us crazy. And uh, somebody asked me, um, because this is the first time I've preached live from the pulpit here in four months. And somebody said, Pastor, do you still remember how to do that? And I said, I don't know, but I'm hoping it's like riding a bicycle. And it'll just come to me. And he said, well, that part where you tend to go long, he said, forget that part. So I'm going to try. I still haven't figured out how it is. I take the same amount of notes. And when I've been preaching online, it's 25 minutes. And when I do it here live, it's 40. So we'll we'll see what we get today. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. But I invite you to take your Bibles, open to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we've, we've been here the last, well, this is the fourth week, looking here at these first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. We've been in the process of learning in these three verses where it pictures the life of faith, the life of a believer as a race. And we've been looking at four characteristics here of a faith that finishes well, a faith that runs well in this race of life and wins. Four characteristics here. The first three we've seen in verse 1. We saw in verse 1, which it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Three characteristics here in this verse. The first is that the faith that wins understands and values and remembers the partnership of faith. It sent us back to chapter 11 to learn from the winners, the examples and the inspiration of the heroes of faith who have preceded us, to learn from them. and also gives us the big picture that we are part of a team. The people of God throughout all the ages, throughout all of history, we are teammates with them and we run and we win together. Secondly, the characteristic of this faith that wins, it is an unhindered faith. We saw we need to cast off the things that keep us from running well, the sins that trip us up, anything else, even the good things that slow slow us down, anything that keeps us from loving Jesus supremely and serving Him fully. And thirdly, last week we saw that this faith is a persevering faith. Is to run with, we need to run this race with perseverance and endurance because sometimes it will be difficult, it will be hard. We need to hang in there in this race with commitment and determination. Today we come to the fourth key of this faith that finishes well and we discover that it is a focused faith. Look with me at verses 2 and 3 and follow along as I, as I read. It says, looking to Jesus 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such hostility against Himself, from, endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Those of you who have ever played sports in almost every sport that I'm aware of, it matters where we focus our eyes. When you're trying to hit a ball or catch a ball, you're trying to play a sport like golf or tennis or baseball, coaches always say, Keep your eye on the ball. In some sports, you have to keep your eye on your opponent or on a particular part of your opponent. I've heard a football coach telling his players to keep their eyes on their opponent's belt buckle, as it were, in order to help to track their movements, to know where they're going, where they're going to go as you try to block them. Where we put our eyes can... Help us to move accurately and correctly, or it can keep us from moving rightly if we are looking to the wrong place. And our text here this morning in verse 2 calls for us, if we want to finish well in this life of faith, our text tells us that we must have a focused faith, and as it says, we are to be looking to Jesus. We are to focus on Jesus. Ben Watkins was an older man, a widower in the church where I grew up. When I hit middle school, Ben Watkins hired me to take care of his yard as he had hired my two older brothers before me. There was mowing and edging and trimming and weed pulling and all kinds of stuff. It was generally an all-day job, but he provided lunch and it was very good. Mr. Watkins was particular and he was exacting. He wanted everything done just so. But that was okay with me because he paid really, really, really well. For me, going to work for Mr. Watkins was an opportunity to get rich. But as I look back, I realized that he viewed hiring me and my older brothers as an opportunity to build in the life of boys. He gave thorough and detailed instructions, and he gave thorough and complete reviews of every bit of your work. But it was always given with rich doses of grace and kindness and praise. I learned about hard work and faithfulness and and I learned about thoroughness, attention to detail. And over lunch, he always managed somehow to squeeze in some little nugget about, uh, of wisdom about living well and about following Jesus. One of those lessons that I learned from Mr. Watkins was how to mow and get straight lines. And believe it or not, it's not about looking at the lines. It's not about looking at your feet. To mow and get straight lines, you look across and you pick that point of where you need to go 
and you keep your eye on that point, and that's all where you look as you mow, and you'll get a straight line. Those verses here tell us the same truth. We want to mow straight as it were in life. If we want to run this race straight to avoid detours and wasted time and mess-ups, we need to focus on one point, and that point is Jesus Christ. Focus on Him. This word looking can actually be translated looking off to. In other words, it's not just looking to Jesus, it's looking away from other things. It's a deliberate choice to not look at these, to look at Jesus. Interestingly, a couple of months ago, we spent weeks in chapter 11. Chapter 11, filled with Old Testament heroes of the faith, precisely put there as witnesses to us, examples for us to look at and to learn from. But now this text calls us, having looked at them, to look away from them and look at Jesus. In recent weeks, it's been all the rage for protesting mobs to tear down statues of heroes and famous people. Because somehow along the way they discovered that these people had flaws. Major flaws. Character issues. Character failing, defects, duh, as if nobody knew that before. The reality is that heroes tend to be defective. Matter of fact, back in Hebrews chapter 11, we noted that basically every name in the list through the chapter, these great heroes of the faith, each one of them had major flaws. Or some failing, some big disappointment, some skeleton in the closet. If we focus on them, ultimately we will one day be disappointed. So look at heroes, our text calls us in chapter 11. Appreciate the good they have, but don't stare at them too long. Don't focus on them. Focus on Jesus. It's good to have heroes. But if you look too long to whoever it is, some pastor, some leader, some old saint that you've known, if you look too long, eventually they will disappoint. But if you look at Jesus, focus on Him, He will never fail you. Never disappoint. One of my neighbors back home in Dallas, a fellow that I always liked, he was a nice man, I found out he never went to church because one day about 20 years before I met him, a pastor had failed him. The problem is he had to focus on the wrong person. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, it says there in verse 2, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It tells us to look to Jesus, then it gives us two descriptions, two words here that describe Jesus that are loaded with meaning. They give us multiple reasons why we need to focus on Jesus. 
This morning I want to just call our attention to four of the reasons these words give us that we need to focus on Jesus. So the word founder can be translated the author or the originator. Jesus is the source, the originator of our life, our salvation, and our faith. What I discover in that, the lesson for us to learn is He's in charge. I'll explain that here in just a second. You see, as the author, the originator, the founder, we we can look back and we can see that Scripture tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Before the world, before we were ever created, God in Christ chose us. When creation did come about, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that by Him, by Jesus, all things were created. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God created the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the Creator, the Scripture tells us, who made it all. He has been at work with people of faith All along the way, all through human history, we find Him in the Old Testament. He shows up in the pages as you'll see Him as the angel of the Lord. And then, of course, as the verse verse 2, as we read on, goes on to say, it says that He purchased our salvation on the cross. There on the cross, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why was He there? To purchase our salvation. Jesus is the originator, the author of our life, our salvation, our faith. We can use that term author and say He wrote the book. He wrote the book, the story of human history, the story of human redemption. It's all the story Jesus has written. May I say there is great comfort in this truth. There may be pandemics. There may be pandemonium all around the world and it may hit close in our lives, but yet things are not spinning out of control. Jesus, the author, the founder, the originator of faith, is at work through it all. You may be going through tough times, but trust Jesus because He's working on and working through His grand plan. He's the founder. He's the author. He's got this. He's in charge. It's a marvelous truth. This word founder can also be translated a different way. It's very accurate to say He's the founder. It also can be correctly translated He is the captain. Or he is the leader. He is the trailblazer. Or some translations say he is the pioneer of our faith. In other words, he's the one who goes before. He's the one that leads the way. In that sense, Jesus is our perfect example. He's a perfect example of what it is to live by faith. If you're like me, I think we rarely think about the fact that Jesus lived by faith. 
Jesus, we know, was fully God and fully man. We often typically tend to think of him as fully God and forget the fully human parts that he lived with. There's so much we cannot and do not understand of what it means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. can't grasp all that. It's too high and too big for my mind and for our mind as people. Jesus was fully God, and yet as fully man, He had limitations. Limitations of space and time. Limitations, the Scripture tells us, of what He knew. Even the Son does not know, Jesus said, about when He would return, only the Father. There were things He did not know. Because of that, Jesus had to live by faith. So we often think, well, it was easy for Jesus because he didn't have to do what, you know, I have to do. He didn't have to live by faith, but the Scripture would say differently. Jesus, as fully man, lived by faith. He had to trust the Father by faith. Just think of Matthew chapter 4, the temptation. Satan tempted Jesus. You'll recall, though, that if you think, as you look through those temptations, what were the temptations all about? Was Jesus going to believe God and trust that God would do what God was going to do or would and do it in what was best and the way that Jesus would agree with? <laughs> or would Jesus take Satan's offer for shortcuts? For the easy way. You see, it's really the same temptations we have. Will we believe God and trust God to do what is right and best? Or will we follow our own wisdom and Satan's Temptations to go the shortcut way to pursue what we think we want because we think we know better. See, isn't it the same? Jesus in John 5, verse 19, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing by His own accord. In other words, He can't do anything apart from God. He had to trust and depend upon God. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before Jesus' crucifixion when He is there and He is praying and He says, Nevertheless, not my will, but Yours be done. Jesus had to trust the Father and obey the Father in faith rather than doing what His preference was. Jesus is our perfect example of what it is to live by faith. His final words on the cross were, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. I have to let go. I have to let go of control. Into Your hands, Father. Jesus exhibited faith and trust in God the Father from beginning to end. He lived by faith and we need to look to Him to see how to fully and faithfully trust God to run and live well. We need to emulate Jesus' character, His attitudes, His love, His humility, His priorities, His concern for lost people. You know, we have a tendency, at least again, if you're like me, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. We have a tendency to look to see how others are doing, to see how we compare to them. Well, I'm doing pretty good. Look over there at her. (laughs) Don't we do that? But in this race, we are not competitors. 
Running well isn't about doing better than you or me or them. Running well is aiming to be like Christ. In His character, His love, His compassion, His priorities. If we look to compare ourselves to other people, inevitably we will fall behind in the race. We need to simply focus on Jesus. He's the perfect example of what it is to live by faith. He's also the example of what it is to live by faith in finishing, finishing by faith. Our text tells us that Jesus is the the founder. He's also the perfecter, which can be translated the finisher or the completer. Jesus is our example as the supreme, the perfect finisher. He lived a perfect life. He accomplished all that the Father sent Him to do. Wow, there's an aim. To accomplish in our life, to do in our life, everything that the Father intended for us to do. As verse 2 goes on to say, He went on and He submitted Himself to the cross. He endured the cross, despising The shame, it wasn't fun, it wasn't enjoyable. The humiliation and shame of it was not a pleasant thing. Shame of having our sin put upon Him above all. Question, why did Jesus do all that? What is it that moved Him to go against His desire and inclination there in the garden, yet not my will? You say, your will, Father endure the cross. What moved Him to do that? If your answer is love, that's good. But that's not the answer our text here gives us. It tells us the answer. What is it? Look again in verse 2. Why did Jesus do it? For the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus focused on what was coming. Not the cross. What was beyond the cross? What was coming finally, ultimately, the future reward? Where now, as the text goes on to say, He sits at the right hand of the Father. Fully God, fully man. The man who came, the the second Adam, as the Scripture tells us, who came and, and achieved what man was supposed to do in terms of living rightly and perfectly. Jesus ran the race. He ran the race perfectly. He finished it. Now as the victor, He sits by the Father, throne in heaven. Our Redeemer, our Savior. He did it for the joy set before Him. And He's there for us to learn our example. How do we win in this race? We have to keep our eyes on the prize. It takes us back to chapter 11 and verse 1, where it describes faith. Faith is the, it says there in chapter 11, verse 1, the assurance of things hoped for. It's the, I I know what's coming. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. I know it's coming. And so we don't look at at the hardships and the difficulties of this life. Our eye is on the prize. Even Even as Jesus didn't focus on The cross, He focused on what was coming through the cross. 
Again, in verse 6, it says that faith is believing that God exists and that He is He rewards those who seek Him. That's what faith is. Believing that God will reward our faithfulness. That it is worth it to follow Jesus Christ and to run this race well. Because God is and He rewards those who seek Him, who put Him first. Faith rightly and legitimately calls for you and for me to look toward and to live for the reward and the future that we have in heaven. That's why Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That needs to be our priority. Jesus is the perfect example of what it is to live by faith. And we look at His priorities. It wasn't about the, the stuff of this world. It was always about the kingdom, the kingdom, always about glories, the gold of heaven. It is good, it is right, it's necessary for you and for me to long for and to hope for and to strive for the rewards of heaven, rewards that will never perish, never fade. That's what motivated Jesus to press on, to endure the cross, to finish. We are to follow His example. There's a third reason here for us to focus on Jesus. Find it in verse 3. Jesus is our encouragement. When the race seems overwhelming, dear brothers, sisters, when your faith starts to peter out, when you start thinking maybe God has turned His back on you, He's forgotten you, He's ignoring you. And you think that maybe you'll just never get over this problem. Maybe you even think that God can't get you out of this mess. You're in so deep. When you're tempted to think that no one in all the world, no one in all the universe, understands how you feel and what you're going through when you're just throwing a major pity party. And some of us have been there. Just come back here to verse 2. Read again. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And then move on to verse 3. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It calls us here to consider Jesus suffering and there to find encouragement. Why? Because whatever you feel, whatever you're going through, Jesus has already been there. He fully and truly feels your pain. Many of you know and have read the story of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, who survived Nazi concentration camps. She saw the face of evil up close and personal. Saw some of the most inhumane acts man can do to man. She came out of it all. She made this marvelous statement. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, 
you'll be at rest. Consider everything Jesus went through. All that He did for us in our behalf and because of His love for us, that is to be for you and me motivation. He did all that for me. The reason Jesus went to the cross was for us. He went there to purchase our salvation, to pay for our sin. What should be our response? First, it's to believe. He did it to save us, and the way that we're saved is by trusting Him, the Scripture says. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. He paid the cost. All we have to do is receive it by trusting Him. What else? Simply this. It's to be a motivation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says that He died for all. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sakes died and was raised. We're saved freely by God's grace through faith. But what it ought to do in us is cause a great change. A new motivation to live for Him because He died for me. There's a fourth reason to look here to Jesus. He is in charge. He's the perfect example. He's our encouragement. And lastly, He'll see us through. As the one who is the author of the founder of faith, and He's the perfecter, the finisher of faith, we must understand as well that He is the one not only who paid for our salvation, He's the one who empowers our faith, who enables us to finish the race. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it alone. We need Him. He will enable us and He will finish the work of faith in our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus hasn't given up on us. And He never will. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We were created by Him We are saved by grace through faith, but it goes on there in Ephesians 2, verse 8, to say even that faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. He who has begun the work in us will be faithful to complete it. Yes, we struggle. Yes, it is difficult. We need to understand that Jesus is a sympathetic example of faith. He is the perfect example. He lived perfectly. That doesn't mean he's unsympathetic to our difficulties. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about how Jesus is now our great high priest in heaven who is interceding for us. But he is a high priest who is sympathetic to our weaknesses because it says he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. The conclusion of that there in Hebrews 4 is it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, when you are weak, when you are struggling, when you're failing, when you're falling, what do you need to do? Call upon Jesus, our great High Priest, and know that He will give us the help that we need in our weakness. One of the most moving, memorable moments in sports history occurred during the Olympics of 1992. Summer games were in Barcelona. One of the runners in the 400-meter race that one day was an English athlete, a guy named Derek Redmond. Like all athletes, he had trained for years to get to that point, the pinnacle of sports. As he was sprinting in a qualifying heat, suddenly he pulled a hamstring and he crumpled to the track in utter pain. Yet determined to go on, he struggled to his feet, hobbling in pain. He was doing a painful skipping run, trying to somehow continue down the track to make it to the finish line. Over on the sidelines, his father watched in agony with his son. He broke through the security guards and ran onto the track. He reached his son. He grabbed his son and the young runner leaned on his father's shoulder, staggered together to complete the race. The entire crowd stood, cheered two men they finished the race together. Afterwards, his father said, whatever happened, he had to finish. And I was there to help him finish because we started his career together. So we finished it together. And I say that's just a little picture, a little illustration of this race of faith. He who began this good work within you, will be faithful to complete it. If we will focus our eyes on Jesus and run this life of faith, then He Himself, who promised He would never leave us nor forsake us, He will come alongside. He will enable to finish this race of faith well. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning these marvelous truths in your, in your Word. You've called us. <laughs> you created us. You've called us. You've rescued us through Jesus Christ. Now You call us to run our lives, to live lives of faith, to live out the fact that we have been redeemed, rescued by Jesus. Lord, help us to live it out, to run this race well. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to run this race realizing we are in partnership with all who have come to faith in Christ. May we set aside the things that get in the way, hold us back. May we run with perseverance. and May we fix our eyes on For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.
his name we have.